the American Teilhard Association podcast features conversations and interviews which explore the life, thought, and vision of mystic scientist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. We express our gratitude to Dalesford Abbey in Paley, Pennsylvania for allowing us to use their space and equipment in making this episode possible. This episode features Dr. Tracy Higgins. Tracy has been a member of the American Teilhard Association and active in the French Amis de Terre de Chardin for over 20 years. During her career in the Defense Department, Tracy also served in Italy, Rwanda, Korea, Burundi, Israel, Egypt, and India. Upon retirement in New York, she earned a PhD from Columbia University and became a practicing RN specializing in neurological disorders and pediatric psychiatry. She is studying Jungian psychoanalytic theory, which she incorporates clinically into expressive arts and sand play therapy. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the American Teilhard Association podcast. We have with us today, Tracy Higgins. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here, Andrew. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, I would ask you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to first meet Teilhard. Well, I guess I got on this podcast because I am now officially the secretary of the American Teilhard Association, um, which is kind of new for me. So I'm learning the ropes here. Um, it's been a long path to get here. Um, I first learned about Teilhard way back, well, maybe it's not that long ago, but in pretty much the year 1999, I think. Um, I was, I'm, I'm kind of a world traveler, citizen of the world kind of thing uh, because mm -hmm. of my job and because of uh, just my temperament. Um, I travel a lot. I've lived in a lot of different places around the world. Um, but strangely enough, I got to know this French philosopher while mm -hmm. I was living in Texas. And I was living uh, in San Antonio. Um, and I lived right next door to a Catholic priest who was a Air Force chaplain, and I'm former Air Force officer. Okay. And um, he was very ill, so he needed a lot of help. So I'd go over to help him, and so to speak, and then I'd steal stuff off his bookshelf <laughs> for reading because I'm a bibliophile. So um, I met a common friend of his, an Irish priest, an exiled Irish priest who was mm. very progressive, which is maybe why they kicked him out of Ireland. And now he was one of our priests in Texas. Sure. And he saw the kinds of books that I was, you know, taking. And he said, you know what? You seem to me like somebody who would appreciate Teilhard de Chardin. And um, he didn't say it quite that way with his Irish accent, but he, he, <laughs> he did mention to me Teilhard would probably be somebody you'd be interested in. So uh, of course I took him up on it right away because I'm always just so immensely curious and, and um, I was sort of on a very religious sort of um, time in my life. So um, I immediately went out and looked for something by Teilhard, which at that time would have been maybe the Borders bookstore. <laughs> um, and there was one thing on the shelf by Teilhard and I can't remember what it was, but it was one of the, of course, English language books that have a collection, you know, bits and pieces of his essays just put together in one volume. Okay. And um, I thought that was good. I thought it was very interesting. And it really caught my attention. And I, I, I thought his thinking was really on the right path. And he was very innovative. And, and um, so I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to go further with it. And 
within a short period of time, I learned that I was going to get stationed for the second time in Paris, France. So the wow. timing couldn't have been better, right? Just sure. introduced to Teilhard, and now I'm going to head to France. And Total by the American. way, I couldn't find anything else other than that one book on American bookshelves, right? Okay. It wasn't as easy, I guess, as it is today to order things from Amazon.fr, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. right. So um, as soon as I went to France, I explored the bookshelves there and, okay. um, and it had a lot of Teilhard stuff. And did you speak French at that time? I did because I had already uh, lived in France for a couple of years. I was assigned okay. there once before um, to the American embassy in Paris. Um, so you could really immerse yourself with it at that. Well, yeah, I mean, I was a, a good French speaker but as familiar as you are with Teilhard's writings, how easy do you think it was, if even if you're a good French speaker, to start reading his stuff in French, right? Good point. Excellent point. <laughs> it was still a challenge, um, but I loved the challenge. So I went to all the different places, you know, Gibergen, Giber Joseph, uh, which are like on the, what we say, the Boulmiche or Boulevard um, uh, Michel, which is in the center of Paris. And they had it's basically out of students in that area. So lots and lots of books from Teilhard there. And mm -hmm. there's another bookstore, if for those people go to Paris, by they might take a trip there, La Procure, which is right near Saint-Sulpice, which okay. has just about everything Teilhard um, in, his, mm -hmm. in the French language. So I recommend anyone who goes to Paris, go there. Um, just a treasure of um, La Procure is, um, and it's spelled P-R-O-C-U-R-E is the bookstore. Okay. And, um, and it even has English language stuff. It's just an amazing bookstore for anyone who, with a, you know, looking for spiritual, religious, any of that kind of stuff. It's really great. So anyhow, I got a lot of the books there and I'd read them all the time. I'd read them on the subway to and from work. Mm -hmm. And it would be, you know, and it was a little over my head with his French, but I felt like I was like really advancing and learning. Not only was I learning about Teilhard's ideas, but my French was really getting better by struggling through all this stuff. Yeah. So I just fell in love with it. And I just, and I, from then on, I've been stuck with Teilhard and it, it's such a gift that was given to me. I don't know. Sometimes I think there must be some presence guiding us somehow. Uh, but it's been probably, um, he's been active now in my life since, since that time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that that has happened. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree. There is a, a personal nature about um, taking an investment in the vision of Teilhard and, um, you know, how you find that personal encounter occurring within your own life is uh, really a spectacular thing. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, I know the ways that, you know, I can reflect how I've experienced it and continue to in my own life, but it's special to hear other people's. So thank you for sharing that. So Tracy and I, your path keeps going. So it's kind of like that thing where you could study it, but you're never there, right? You can always keep going with it, right? And that's what Teilhard wanted, right? He said, don't take what I say as, you know, this is not the gospel here. This is what I think. These are my intuitions. These are my ideas based on my scientific background and my, um, uh, my religious training. I mean, put it all together. But he always recommended to everyone else, take my ideas, but take them further. Um, right. It's just a start. So, yeah, Andrew, we're going to be on this path forever. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. And yeah, we have the pleasure of working with each other. At least I've had the, the pleasure and gratitude of working with you through the American Theater Association. And we had, a, you and I had quite the icebreaker moment. It was pre-annual event. Was it 2021, I believe? Yeah. 2021. 
And um, we had a video of Marie Bayon de la Tour, who is a relative of Teilhard, who we'll get to a little bit later in this conversation. But um, I was, believe it was a video of her and another person, and they were sharing um, uh, just some developments that the uh, French Teilhard Association, or right, had been undertaking in terms of um, celebrating upcoming anniversary. So um, it was really an important video for the people to see. It was a neat thing because these people abroad had taken the time to record and then we had translated this video. Oh. And somewhere in the digital Merc, it got lost or we couldn't access the file and it was really bizarre. And we're talking, coming down to the wire where, uh, you know, it, it was really, really getting hairy. And somehow at the last second, we, Tracy and I were able to regain access to this file. And it was the right version of it because we had an old version that wasn't correct in translation and just really wouldn't have done justice to the whole thing. And it just all resolved itself. And of course it was like nothing ever happened to those who were the audience. But for us, it was quite the icebreaker oh, moment. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, uh, I'm so, so nervous. And and poor um, sister yeah, Kathy was like, well, you guys figure it out because I got to keep leaving this. Uh, so it was happening in the background, but Andrew, you were so smooth. You never lost your cool. And then I do think we had a miraculous intervention and brought that file back to us where it needed to be. <laughs> Yeah, we'll chalk that one up to Teilhard <laughs> looking right. down on us, right? So, um, yeah, and, you know, so then coming to this conversation tonight, you know, it's really nice to get to know some of your story and about your work and how you share in Teilhard's vision, because um, really outside of that one, you know, very <laughs> intense exchange we had pre-event, um, you know, we've just had kind of casual passing within meetings through Zoom. So, um, you know, this is a nice uh, opportunity to take advantage of this layer of the newosphere where we can connect virtually here. So um, speaking of the ATA, how did you come to get involved in the American Tarot Association? You know, I was amazed to find out that we had one. I, when I was living in France, of course, I sought out the French Tarot Association. It's called Les Amis de Tarot de Chardin, the, the Friends okay. of Tarot de Chardin. And I was very active in that. I'd go to all their meetings and they had lots of lectures, really interesting um, lectures and meetings. And they're set up a little differently than we are because there are small associations throughout regions in France. Mm -hmm. So people will get together, even in Paris, you'll have smaller groups who will get together on a regular basis to discuss a particular point of Teilhard's thought mm -hmm. or a particular reading. So they have a lot of smaller tight-knit groups and then they have their national meetings, of course, in Paris. So set up a little differently. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. And then when I got back to the States um, a couple years later, um, I realized, of course, there is an American Terror Association, which I probably learned about through Father King. Mm. And uh, I signed up right away and they had a lifetime membership option. So I took that right away. I said, that's going to be most economical over the long term. Yeah. I'm still pretty young. I think I'll do the lifetime membership thing. And, um, and it, you know, it's really been great. We have every year these national meetings that we've had with um, John Grimm and, and Evelyn Tucker that did that for so many years. And every year we'd have a national meeting in New York, which was always great, but still kind of limiting because our country is so big. So the right. audience from California might not be able to make that trip to New York for a one day meeting. So that's, I think, the downside of ours in the past is that it's just one huge group. But I, I, with all the changes coming up, uh -huh. um, I think we'll probably get a lot more interaction from more people throughout the country. Um, so I think that's that's a plus under our uh, new leadership. and. Um, 
And that's the thing with Teilhard. I mean, we have the we have the International Teilhard Association too. That's uh, right. Not just, yeah, we have Teilhard Monde or or Teilhard World, mm -hmm. I guess you'd call it. Um, Marianne Roger right. runs that, and so and she's bringing in Teilhardians from Africa and from Spain and and tries to put it all together. So it seems like the interconnections, just as Teilhard would predict are increasing, you know, becoming more complex, right? And we're all becoming more conscious. <laughs> so there you are. That's right, yeah. And it's through each other and through the connection, through the communion that, that we are raising the consciousness, right? That right. we are becoming more aware of all the complexities within the world, within our own lives and how we come into communion. So um, yeah, that, that's a very interesting thing too, how the um, uh, the French Tarot Association is set up in a, a more um, split up way where they are sharing in these talks and then coming together. Um, I guess you could say in some ways that's also happened within uh, the American Tarot Association now with what Sister Kathy has done with really getting these online programs going with book studies, with events, um, with having kind of author Q&As after the Tarot Studies publication comes out. So, um, you know, it's neat to see this development and just how it is organically evolving. And there's other great organizations out there, too, that are doing great stuff to advance Tarot's vision as well, both um, intentionally, directly, and then also in the ways from the periphery, supporting that in other ways. So, um, yeah, it, it's a really uh, a neat thing. It can be the sort of thing I feel like, at least, where when you're really in the thick of it and the work of it, sometimes it's like, oh, my God, like, is anyone going to read this, watch this, listen to this, whatever. But then when you take a step back, you go, oh my gosh, there is such a broad and deep um, hunger that people have for this and a diversity of people hungering for this. And this has to be somewhat, um, you know, some, this has to be some semblance of what Tara talked about when he was talking about Omega Point, right? Union differentiating. So Great. Yeah, it's, it's neat stuff. So um, you touch on a couple things that I also want to ask you about within that last answer to my question about the ATA and your involvement. You mentioned that it was Father Tom King, the Jesuit who was at Georgetown, I believe, right? That's who right, got you involved right. with the American Terror Association. So um, would you care to share a little bit about your relationship with Father Tom King? Yeah, you know, he was, um, a, I think, a typical Tayardian in that he was so well-educated, so smart, yet so kind and so humble and so open to everybody and everything. Um, and I actually met him, I was still living in Paris and I was reading Teilhard as much as I could in the original, but then I stumbled ac across a book written in English, written by Father King. And it became clear to me that he was probably one of the great experts in the United States on this person I had discovered, Teilhard de Chardin. So after reading one of his books and being so impressed by the clarity of his thought and the way he articulated things that are normally very complicated, I was just so impressed, I, I'm gonna to write to him. So I remember sitting in my apartment in Paris, looking out at the cadran over the Garde Lyon, because I was living in the 12th arrondissement at that time. And I said, I'm just gonna to write to this guy. I'm gonna send him an email. I found his email address on the Georgetown site, but I figured, well, you know, he's not gonna respond because he's a Georgetown professor and very busy. And, hmm. um, but so I sent my, my little email and sure enough, the next morning I got up and I had an email back saying, thank you for the, uh, the nice email I have just received. And I thought that was so great. So that, that started our, I guess our relationship from there. 
And um, he was always just so kind. You know, I always felt like he was, you know, like a special friend of mine. But when I came in contact with his whole group, I realized every person in that group felt the same way, right? He always made you feel like you were someone very important, very special. Um, and, but he did that with everybody. And right. when he passed away, I saw, you know, the numbers of people that were just like me who had this, what we thought was a special relationship with Father King in terms of our thought and, and our development and Teardine ideas, but no, there are <laughs> many, many. <laughs> Um, so I, and he did come to Paris while I was there, um, and stayed with the Jesuits there in Paris. And I introduced him to some of the folks at the ATA and mm -hmm. we, they had us over for dinner at their homes. We went to, uh, a very special friend, Raymond Vesha, who has a apartment overlooking uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, um, on Ile de la Cité. And he invited us over for dinner there and had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, and Funny enough, um, years later, Sister Kathy, when she was in Paris, I was able to bring her over to the same place. So, so oh. it's like this continuity, right, in, in Paris. And I think when we yeah. really enjoyed that, really wonderful. So anyhow, um, so the relationship just went on from there. And I, I, I knew Father King, of course, until he died in 2009. And, and we had begun working together on his next book which mm -hmm. was going to be um, related to Teilhard from a different perspective, from the pastoral perspective. Mm. So we did a lot of the research and I keep telling myself ever since he passed away, I was still, I'm, you know, I'm still working, but when I'm fully retired, I want to get that done. So we already yeah. started the work and, and, and that's my, that's what I sort of, I feel like I owe to him that that needs to happen. So um, one way or another, before I die, <laughs> we're gonna get that work accomplished. So first we're gonna work on New York 2023. Yeah. And my, and my addition to that, and what I'm gonna talk about there, but that that other work has to has to be done. Um, he, he died suddenly and just way too soon. Uh, okay. King, really, and I, I so wish he were here today to see all the things that are happening now. Yeah. The film and everything. Thank you. That that's uh, very exciting to hear. Um, something that you know really got me sparked up here was hearing you share that there is an unpublished Tom King works <laughs> out there. And to know personally, you know, the person who's working on it with him is really cool. But um, yeah, I've always really appreciated his scholarship into Teilhard because it goes beyond scholarship. It goes to say that he takes it personally. It goes to the level of the mystical. And I met a guy once at a former job and he was a Georgetown alum and he remembers going to mass. I think he said in the crypt. Does that sound right? Uh-huh. Um, uh -huh. uh -huh. Yep. And Father King would be saying mass down there. And he said that, you know, the way he celebrated mass was really just mystical. The way he just entered into the words and entered into the liturgy and um, really seemed to be in ecstasy as this was all unfolding and um you know really had a lot to say about the way he incorporated Teilhard into just his daily classes but also just kind of his way of being as well absolutely um, yeah and he could have sort of resembled Teilhard in a way which which helped and 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 he did that uh celebration at Copley Crypt that was his yearly celebration of the mass on the world oh they, okay down in the crypt and it was uh -huh. wonderful i we you know we loved that every year and it was in, in may he would do that uh, but then he also had the nightly mass at uh at, i think it's called dongren um uh church dogren yeah dogren church the larger church he'd do okay. the nightly mass there for the kids like at 
10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, because he knew that kids are not going to, you know, college students are not going to wake up in the morning. So if you're going to offer mass, you got to offer it at a time they're going to be awake and they're going to be awake at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> so he did that for years and years. I'm always with the candles, um, uh -huh. a lot of candles. And, and when he passed away, a lot of us grabbed the candles that he used at his mass and, and oh, kept cool. them as kind of a souvenir. I don't know if they've kept up that tradition or not. There's not a lot of priests that really want to have to stay awake that late at night to do mass but sure he, he always did it he was always faithful to be there for the kids and i remember even with 9 11 i was living in dc at that time uh -huh. he, that mass went on as scheduled um on 9 11 and it was probably the one of the most highly attended masses he ever gave on a weeknight you know at night um the place was just packed overflowing you know people yeah. you know the young people when he did like somebody explained to us what's happened here mm -hmm. and he spoke that night at his mass and it was just just amazing hmm. do you have a work of his that is particularly you're particularly fond of um gosh i've just I, I i've read all this stuff i don't think there's one thing that's you know uh, you mean a father king's or tayard's a father king's i'm oh. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um one thing um, he actually wrote a paper one that I can't remember the name of the paper, but there was a particular paper that he was just so on point. Um, but you know, that's a hard, that's a tough question. I don't think I can yeah. say this one particular one. I just, I love his style of writing and communicating, you mm -hmm. know, it's just so clear, you mm -hmm. know, unlike Teilhard, which, you know, he, he writes, Teilhard writes beautifully. He writes poetically and lyrically at times yeah. when that's his intention. But a lot of the time, Teilhard, you know, he with his run on sentences and, you know, interjection and interjection, I mean, he's not a great writer in terms of articulating big ideas because he just, there's so much in his head at once, right? Sure. So that's why I appreciated Father King. He sort of, you know, laid things out in a very good way. Yeah, and I'm wise of Teilhard too, to, you know, encourage people to continue his vision, to allow it to evolve and expand and grow because he had a level of self-awareness and knowing that his vision was for him itself tough for one person to articulate, right? right. Um, something I often comment about within his work is how it has this quite circular nature to it it's really like a spiral like nature where things and ideas and concepts are being repeated but that spiral is getting tighter with every repetition of each idea exactly exactly yeah, that's it, why he kept working on his his i mean even when he was in new york at this last couple of years he was still refining mass on the world Right. Which he had written so many, and he's still refining, refining, refining his own, and knowing, as you say, that the rest of us now, we're going to continue with those ideas and continue it going upward on that spiral, but still encountering the same things over and over, but each time a little bit different and a little bit more consciousness each time. Yeah. And we exist now in 2022 as the year wraps up with a consciousness of the internet, right? And the internet is a very complex thing beyond just what it is commonly known to be, right? It has all these different levels and goes into security and military and all this stuff, right? But I wonder what Teilhard foresaw in terms of Nuosphere. I mean, an internet is just one component of Nuosphere, right? It's one manifestation, if you will, like a concrete physical manifestation of this Nuosphere. But um, I wonder in his mind, pre-internet, 
what he kind of visualized as being that noetic connection in the future, in the year 2022, you know. Right, right. How, how you know, what would be the actual uh, phenomenon of that without knowing anything about the internet? How could it actually take place? So his intuition is just amazing. That's right. And he commented on global telecommunications and travel, global travel. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, this collective intelligence that is now forming through our World Wide Web, um, you know, he certainly had inklings of that. And um, I remember on the first copy or the first book I bought by him, it was Phenomenon of Man. And uh, it was on the back, it had a, a wired.com like article and it said like profit of the internet or something like that. <laughs> so he, he definitely saw it coming, but, um, you know, like I said, it's only one component of Nuosphere in the same way that Nuosphere is one component of that Christosphere that we are ultimately evolving toward. Right. right? Yeah, and then there's yeah. the, you know, the, the psyche itself, which, you know, he was not um, foreign to. I mean, he mm. had a lot of friends who were um, psychoanalysts. He mm -hmm. contributed to Psyche magazine. Um, so he was kind of aware of that, um, of that psychological aspect of it, too, that even without the instantaneous connection and, you know, real-time connections that we experience, but the psyche itself having certain abilities on its own outside of our conscious uh, control. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and I, I know that you are a Jungian in a sense, and uh, he and Jung never had any sort of actual dialogue in terms of correspondence between each other, but they were, through anecdote, aware of each other's works. And yeah, he actually commented on, on Jung's. Jung had written um, uh, an article in Time magazine. In yeah. The season, and Teilhard did actually comment to one of, in a letter to his friends about what he thought about Jung's article and Jung's ideas. And I might, is it from one of Tom King's books? I think it might be Jung's Four and some philosophers. Tom King that, did write, yeah. Yeah, in the chapter on Teilhard, I think he says that like, this is, I think, think Tom King saying this, but like Teilhard's familiarity with Jung is shown in the way he spells Jung, Y-U-N-G or something like that. Or like, but he was familiar enough with these core concepts of Jungian psychoanalysis and psychodevelopment with the unconscious and collective unconscious where I, I would gather being a bright guy, he saw some correlation. I, yeah, I think so. He had a couple of, uh, there was a French psychotherapist whose letters have just surfaced within the past couple years. Mm -hmm. Everyone saw more letters surface of Teilhard to someone out there that we didn't know about. Yeah, so there were some that just surfaced a couple of years ago, and I have the letters to um, um, some letters to Marie Choisy, who was a psychoanalyst at that time, mm -hmm. and was very you know um, unusual in the way that she practiced and the number of things that she did. She actually went undercover as a um, in a brothel for about a month. And she acted, she, she wasn't, she didn't act as a prostitute. She was a maid for the brothel, but that mm -hmm. gave her the chance to, as sort of an anthropologist, um, uh, to be able to participate in the life of the brothel for 30 days. And then she wrote all about it, right? So, and she was a psychoanalyst. She was a friend of Teilhard's. So um, he had these friends, like every kind of friend from all different walks of life. And, and she, uh, of course, discussed a lot with him, the psychoanalytic uh, perspective and I think yeah. she was the one that sent him Jung's um, article too yeah 
he was not afraid to put himself out there, um, you know, mm-hmm. from the perspective of him writing as a soldier, you know, he calls it the front in terms of the war and being called for the called to the front, having a nostalgia for the front, missing the front. And I would imagine that the front exists in other ways, too. I mean, surely it exists in a way that only a warrior knows in war, right? But perhaps we all encounter and desire and are called to the front some way in our own small lives, right? To participate in the bigger life of of evolution. And he really desired that. And it seems like he wasn't afraid to connect with people who sometimes, like in his one prayer, um, Hymn to Matter, he says something about seeking God in the realms where the saints think to avoid you. No, that's you know, and yeah, you know, he just had no reservations. It seemed like about connecting with people and about finding that sense of relationship and sense of being through relationship with other people. I mean, you know, even in his letters with mm-hmm. Lucille Swan, um, you know, there is this really heated exchange going back between them where she's expressing her deep desire for him, even physically. Mm-hmm. And he is just tried and true to his vision and to his calling as a priest. And, um, you know, I would imagine that just takes such razor sharp focus that it's only mirroring in some way that which is calling, right? That which right. is pulling towards right. Omega and pulling us all towards Omega. If we could only have such a razor sharp focus, you know, and that could do so much. Confidence, right? And of course, with uh, Lucille Swan, he would say, you know, I got my back up against the wall on this. I mean, he was really um, pressured. And of course, at the front, as you mentioned, you know, the, the people that were, there was one wounded person that he just wrote about his experience. He was on the field wounded and the image that he had of Teilhard who came out into the field to come and get him and bring him mm-hmm. back over the line, the vision that he had of him. So, I mean, Teilhard, he, he knew no fear right. on, the, on the battlefield. So that complete confidence, you know, in addition to his bravery, really lends to his just total credibility, I think, as, um, some, as a man of faith. Yeah, yeah. So uh, something else you had mentioned too um, uh, was 2023, Oh, right? So you've mentioned this a couple times now. Um, so why don't you share a little bit about 2023 and what's coming up then? Um, so the, uh, the French actually started with this great idea that they wanted to celebrate a hundred year anniversary of the writing of the Mass in the World. So apparently this Mass in the World came out in... 23 when he first wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're selling, celebrating 100 years of that by going to the grave and celebrating um, a service there at the grave and having a series of conferences. And we haven't worked out the details yet, but um, Teilhard Mond has announced it. So I know that it's out there. So I can say, yes, this is, this is going to happen. Awesome. Um, and the details will follow, but that's basically what we're trying to do is, is have a, a number of conferences. Um, maybe you'll speak, Andrew. Um, I'll speak. Sister Kathy will speak. Um, and Marie Bayon de la Tour will speak um, for sure. Um, and maybe her cousin Olivier will come. Um, and maybe this is a good time for me to, to say a little bit about Marie and Olivier. Um, sure, sure. Um, Marie is just 
Uh, yeah, and you, I, well, you met her, of course, you saw the, um, what we did uh, at our meeting about a year ago, but such a brilliant, brilliant person who um, in her 50s discovered that she had this great artistic talent. So now mm. she's just a, a really accomplished sculptor and painter. And what, a lot of times on books or references to Teilhard, you'll see a picture of a sculpture. I don't know if you've seen it with uh -huh. Teilhard with his chisel working on the stone. She uh -huh. did that. Um, and just an amazing person. And she's going to come and probably talk about um, Teilhard, Teilhard's death, his last days, and what happened you know, after he died and gave us uh -huh. all the details there. And just an amazing, just a humble and kind and brilliant woman. Um, and so she will be coming and her cousin, now she's the daughter of Joseph and Joseph was Teilhard's brother. I'm sorry, Joseph Teilhard de Chardin was uh -huh. her grandfather. And I don't know if you remember, but Joseph is Teilhard's brother. And he stayed, he was probably his closest family member. He stayed in touch with him, wrote him letters and all that throughout his lifetime uh -huh. and went back to his brother's castle when he could. Right. Um, in Paris to for a retreat and to sort of go home, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so, and hopefully Olivier, which is her cousin, another great nephew of Teilhard, who was a priest and who is the most magnificent. I, I went to his uh, first mass as a priest back in 2000. And um, he is actually a parish priest in, in mm -hmm. Paris. Um, and he is just amazing. I mean, he's just, He's, he, he's forever young, handsome, kind, humble. Does he look like him at all? He, he actually, he's more handsome than Teilhard. <laughs> he doesn't look exactly like him. He's not, you know, he's, 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 he's actually more handsome and he's just as nice as can be. And his, his flock just loves him. He will just, yeah. he just, you know, bend over backwards for anybody's needs, um, always present. So when I say he's coming, you know, it could possibly happen that he won't be available because his first duty, of course, is to his flock. But, sure. but we're hoping that we will get him over here for that and that he will participate in the ceremony and maybe actually be the one to, to, to do a lot of the ceremony at the cemetery. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? And now is he a Jesuit as well? Uh, he's not a Jesuit. Okay. He's, a, he's a parish priest. He's, okay, yeah. yeah. That's very cool. I didn't know that you had a, another connection that way with... Um, another family member of Teilhard's who's also a priest and who might be making a guest appearance at this 2023 event. So um, for people looking for more information about New York 2023, is there any place where they can find that online at the moment? I know you said that um, the European Teilhard Association announced it. Yeah, so I think, and that'll be up to, um, I guess, uh, the ATA, probably further down the line when we have, you know, the right details on, mm -hmm. on when and where, but um, right now we just have the general outline, um, but I think probably, you know, in the spring, okay, you know, probably we'll have, you know, more solid details and, mm -hmm. and figure out how to, how to organize that because, um, um, you know, there's a lot of people and I, and, I, and I don't know how it's going to work out at the cemetery, but we certainly want to make it available to as many people as we possibly can, because what a wonderful um, opportunity. And, you know, Andrew, I remember back in, I guess it was 99 or something, and I went to Teilhard's grave in Poughkeepsie for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was just deserted. I mean, there was nothing there. You know, you get the key, you go in and, and, um, and I just thought, you know, it was so sad. I could picture his the car the hearse bringing him in and i think we all know the story about you know his burial and all that but it was just kind of sad that he was there but 
there was nothing else there and like yeah. as if no one knew but since then over the past 20 years it has the the knowledge of its location and the number of people coming to visit has increased and increased and increased and there's actually some locals now that tend to the grave on a regular basis well wow. yeah so i mean it's the the changes i mean and it just brings me so much joy now to know that we'll have an actual um celebration there um we did have one back in 2005 uh -huh. the 50 year anniversary of Teilhard's death so we did have a celebration at the grave then so this will actually be the second time but nevertheless I'm, I'm so glad for that recognition and for the participation and to have for me to have the French people and the Americans or as many nationalities as can be present yeah I think it would be really representative of the world that 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 Teilhard is living in yeah, and to call people together from, like you said, across the world would be a very cool thing to have them gathered in one place. And um, like you said, those increases in signs of life at his gravesite are really cool because um, I, in my own nerdy way, have like these like little ways of monitoring an increase of consciousness about not just Teilhard, but his wider vision, you know, of Omega and Cosmic Christ. And one of them has been like, ever since I started doing scholarship on Teilhard, which has been for, I guess, 10 or so years now, um, you know, and doing Google image searches for things like Nuosphere, Cosmic Christ, Omega Point, the number of search results keeps going up over right. the years. And also the amount of art where we have artists that are doing pieces entitled Omega or Cosmic Christ or something like that. And sometimes it's quite abstract where it's not even very Christian in character, but it really expands one's experience and perception and presuppositions of, you know, what that great unity is. So it's cool that way. You have to it's see amazing, these yeah. little like, indicators of the increase. You can monitor that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. And, and Teilhard really called for that through his ultra physics and seeing how all these different studies of things can come together and break out of their silos he wanted us to measure things like the amount of love and awareness and connectivity in the universe, right? Um, I guess those things really don't, you know, influence fiduciary, uh, fiduciary responsibility and stuff like that, but um, they are of, of utmost importance on, you know, uh, on more meta levels, I guess you would say. Right. So. And, and of course he saw like that, it's almost like a certain currency, right? A, the, the energies of love, yeah. the energy of spirit, and we're not being very scientific in simply ignoring those sources of energy because they are sources of energy, but we just don't know how to quantify it yet. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting now we have all these different movements within culture, whether it be media and there's like mass exodus from people watching uh, mainstream cable media and they're seeking podcasts and, you know, individual journalists that have platforms on Substack and podcasts and things like that. Or now even within currency, there's a decentralization, right, where there's cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, and things like that. Um, but that's all part of Teilhard's process, right? You have centralization in which there's a sense of self-develop, there's a decentral or decentration where we move beyond self. And then finally, that third stage is a supercentration where we are super or hyper-centered on that which is, or who is, who is you know, calling for our attention and love. And um, it's just been really interesting to see or hear and see 
and experience these words now being thrown out there on like CNN. They're talking decentralization and stuff. It's like, <laughs> hey, I know that word. <laughs> so he really, really was ahead of his time with this stuff. He really saw it coming. Absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and it's not, and it's not only that he's so brilliant, because we had a lot of brilliant people in the 20th century, and a lot of Teilhard's ideas stemmed from um, other ideas that had come about in the 20th century, and especially mm -hmm. post-war. Um, so what really struck me about Teilhard from the beginning is not just that he's brilliant and insightful, but the kind of like the street cred that he has because of his behavior. Um, mm -hmm. Knowing all this and being so accomplished in the scientific world and the academic world and as a Jesuit, he was still so always so humble and kind mm -hmm. and open and brave, signs right up to go to the front lines when mm -hmm. he didn't have to, but he says, yeah. that's where I'm going. Um, so, he, you know, behavior seems to be, to me, is the biggest indicator of someone who was truly authentic, you know, in, in their beliefs. So it really, for me, that said, this is somebody I've got to really read and pay attention to. Yeah, that authenticity component for him, I think really is big because Omega is, is authentic, right? There is no hiding no essay when it comes to omega it is pure consciousness in some way consciousness of the complexity and for one person that's incredibly overwhelming to face but for a community to face together and a shared vision together it becomes i think a lot more manageable so yeah, this that you know this is like almost a theme that's kind of come up tonight throughout tonight's podcast is really cool is this necessity for community, right? And I hear through the conversation how you've really been a linchpin, especially even between Europe and United States and the Tarot Associations. And I'm interested to see too with you know your involvement in the board and Sister Kathy's leadership where this might go. You know, we're looking for new ways to get people involved, be they already involved in a Teardian association here in the States or abroad somewhere, um, or whether they're just maybe hearing of Teard or reading a book for the first time, right? And just having some spark of interest in them that might lead them to us. Uh, you know, for Teard, relationship is existence, right? To be is to be in relationship. And it is apparent to me tonight how you're really a, a linchpin of relationship here within the organizations, even in our conversation. And you're talking about people who I'd only dream to think of having a conversation with like Tom King, <laughs> you know, but you know what? I just, I love language. And, okay. um, and of course I love France and, and, and all that too, but um, you know, that, that connection I think is so important because as I prepare for um, next year, for New York 2023, and focusing mm -hmm. on Teilhard's last years, I'm realizing that um, that a lot of what has been written about Teilhard, and sometimes even by Teilhard, is not translated yet. It's mm -hmm. only available to the French audience. And then it occurred to me that there are things only written in the English language about Teilhard. Um, that are not available in the French language. So I'm like, wow, you know, because for example, Lucas, you know, the Lucas book, you know, that's in English. I don't know that that's in French, Good right? Point. And that's yeah. a very, and that was a well-researched book, of course, written by 
um, investigative journalists. So they had the talent, not only for doing the research, but for presenting it in, in such a fascinating way, right? Mm -hmm. So I, that's, that's in English, right? But the, on the French side, they had um, a book written by Edith de la Héronière, who wrote a brilliant book, similar to the way the Lucas folks did it, well-researched and beautifully presented. So they have that on their side, you know? So it seems like there's these two sides and I just want, I, I wish I could get everything translated. You know, there's so much yeah. French that I want to get into English. Um, and I, I just wish that um, that it was all available to everyone. But I guess maybe this is happening by bringing people together. Maybe that communication between not just the French and the Americans, but as you say, the, the entire Teardian world. Um, if we can bring everyone together, for example, for things like New York 2023, that would be brilliant, right? But yeah, it's just I mean, one step on a long path. I almost feel like there should be one message board where all Teardians could just post on in some way, you know. And yeah, there's a few people just moderate it and keep things manageable and within control. But to share ideas and there's like a quick translate button where it could just translate into your language. Um, maybe that's a project that. <laughs> and that may, you know, and these automatic translators are out there now. So actually, that may be the key: is the translate machine translation that's available to us. Um, but there was something else I wanted to bring up on that about the two sides. Oh, see, I've lost it. It did it, escape me. Um, I'll shoot. It'll come back to me after a bit. That's okay. I was just going to say that, you know, I know that there are some like futurists out there that have concerns about AI, artificial intelligence and things like that. And here I'm thinking if we're using the auto translate button, we'll just be programming the AI with Teardian thoughts and <laughs> and makes it that much more of a uh, maybe hopeful thing. Yeah. Oh, and that's what it reminded me. The one thing that really bothers me is the fact that not necessarily the people that already know Tay are getting access to everything, but the fact that so many Americans, perhaps due to the fact that he was a Frenchman and mm -hmm. he was a little bit esoteric in yeah. his way, that so many Americans, even in the religious sphere, do not know him. Some sure. of them have never heard his name, and most people have heard his name, but really don't know anything about him. And then some of them that hear the name, and there's still that association of heresy still. So they're like, eh, I don't know, you know, I'm very conservative. So um, so that kind of bothers me because even if you disagree with Teilhard or you know you don't like him, at least you've had you've had some exposure to him. And so the fact that we don't provide that kind of exposure to I sometimes I talk to um, high school students in Catholic high schools and mm -hmm that's not taught in religion class right sure. even in college it's sometimes it's just not taught you know mm -hmm. and i'm not pushing one subject over another but i just feel that if for someone to have a well-rounded religious education they should be aware of these you know these important figures in the history of religion and the evolution of religion i mean really an important figure when you consider the quite central role that science plays in today's society right Absolutely. Um, i mean just the attitude of scientism being like the end-all be-all is problematic and i just think of how Teard would roll on his grave every time you know it, it's declared that the science is settled or something like that and um yeah it, it's really quite contradictory to what we opened with which is this boundless continuum through which we are passing and evolving and 
continually being proven wrong and seeking to be better and to be in a Jesuit sense to be more right mm -hmm. uh, magis and that's what Tarot was always seeking seeking in that Jesuit sense God in all things mm -hmm. and as a scientist he was exhausting all of his empirical knowledge to chip away at anything that was inauthentic in terms of expressing God and we only owe it to ourselves, to Teilhard, to how many million years of evolution mm -hmm. to continue that mindset. And I mean, yeah, there is certainly a schism of, um, you know, you, you commented on about how even within religious, you know, there seems to me to be like this generation where they were introduced to him in a very like, shh, like, hey, you got to read this guy, like, you know, like after class type way by the teacher. And um, that was because of all of that fallout of the, you know, the, but the concern about it. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And um, then there was like almost a gap where like no one heard about him. And it seems like through some more integral writers and thinkers, be they Richard Rohr or Ilya Delio or someone like Sister Kathy, who was explicitly more Teardian, or then you have people who are more, uh, expansive, like a Ken Wilbur and something like that. Um, they're sharing these thoughts that all trickle back and mention him in some way. So it's resurging in a way, but I think a lot of it was maybe tied in with maybe the 60s and Vatican II and the changes in the church and the natural resistance to that at first, as well as all of the countercultural movements that were happening, like particularly on the West Coast and then spreading. And there was a certain uh, guttural pushback to that in a way. And I think he got coupled in that. Even today, when people bring up Teilhard as being, um, you know, the danger of being considered new age, I'm like, based on what? Like, can, can, you, can you explain why? And then they're like, hmm, well, and they kind of get stuck. And it's like, what's he saying? You know, that God is within everything. And you know, we are growing closer to, to, to God through our evolution, like. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. I mean, theologically, people don't know what it is that's actually that they're, that they're concerned about, right? Right. Because so, we don't drill down, you know, the kind of, the way that we should. But, you know, in this division between, and you mentioned, that, you know, the, the atmosphere in the 60s, and, and the 70s, how that may have, you know, affected how well Terrence was known. But as I go back now and, and look at that end of his life again, um, that split, conservative, progressive split, of course, existed post-war so strongly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they had the Fourvier in, in Lyon, which was, you know, had to be silenced by the church, the Jesuits, the progressive Jesuits, the Delubac and uh, and uh, there was Dan Liu and, and all these guys that were, you know, so that it's interesting how it's almost like seems today a continuation of what was already happening post-war with this divide between the strict conservative traditionalists and the progressives and what we had post-war, these amazing Catholic intellectuals. Mm -hmm. And I'm discovering more and more these, these um, the, the friends of Teilhard, like uh, uh, Père Duins. Um, he was one of his peers. He was at when he was at Etude, which is like the America in in Paris, the American magazine that they would have had mm -hmm. in Paris. 
Um, he was a superior there at Etude, he ran Etude, and he actually wrote two volumes on Teilhard in French again, mm -hmm. just brilliant. So I'm finding out Dues, his own background and as an academic and as a theologian and all these post-war figures, of course, you know, De Lubac, brilliant, brilliant. And I don't know, I don't see much of that today, maybe 50 years from now, I'll say, I'll find out that in 2022, we actually did have this going on, but but the same divisions seem to exist now as existed back then post-war. And mm -hmm. as you say, that what Teilhard has to offer with this idea of research as adoration, right? Mm -hmm. Where this energetic drive to want to do science, to serve mankind, to move us forward, um, that's such a valuable source of energy for yes. someone who, you know, would like to recon make that reconciliation in science and faith. And that's been such a push for so many years, that reconciliation. And he would be, I think, key in that process. Yes. But he's still not that well known. No, but um, as we indicated, there are signs that <laughs> the awareness is growing, right? That's right. It's moving. It's moving forward. I'm being impatient, and but it it is moving forward. And in Tara's own words, we have patient trust, right? That God's slow work is unfolding exactly. within you and I, and within this conversation. And um, you know, who knows who might be inspired by what you've shared, by what we've talked about in some way, and um, you know, might just draw more attention to the great vision that Tara had that we all share in now. So, if you were to be able to ask Teilhard anything, Tracy, in terms of a question about his work or his outlook or on something, what do you think that would be? Um, I think, um, and I never, whenever people give me one thing, I always have at least two. So, um, but one thing I think that I'd ask him first and foremost <laughs> is now that he sees, right? Because he always said, when you pass away, then you see. So now that he sees, my question to him would be, um, and Andrew, you probably have an opinion on this, and I know a lot of people have opinions, strong opinions either way. My question to him would be, as we evolve towards this omega point, can it fail? Mm. I mean, is success assured or are we at risk? And some people are just, you know, people of faith, especially they say, no, of course it will succeed. God's not going to let his creation fail. But we believe in free will, and we believe it, that what we do has consequences. And um, Teilhard, of course, believed in directed chance, where there's going to be a lot of things that fall off the side. But with that arrow heading forward, you know, we will, with the majority of things happening, get there to the end. But that would be my question to him, is could it fail? Because it seems in our day, even the actions of one individual could cause, you know, world because world catastrophe right so can it fail what are your thoughts do you just want to leave it at that or uh, i leave it as thoughts? an open question maybe we'll make that a um, a question one day for um for facebook or something everybody could put their answers in there or that you know and, and see what the opinions are because i've heard strong opinions both ways and that's the question i'd like tayar to answer for us because the thing is the yeah. answer to that question has a lot of impact in that if we say, no, it simply cannot fail, well, then we risk, of course, laziness, not pushing ourselves hard enough to bring up about that evolution towards the omega point, not mm -hmm. living that life of the cross that we need to live to get to that point, right? If the answer mm -hmm. is yes. If the answer is no, 
then we risk something else. I think we yeah. risk people who are concerned or worried or even scared that we're not going to get there, that they take on these truly extremist views and think if they don't do what they feel they need to do, then all could be lost. And That's we know right. we have a danger of extremist you know, reaction as human beings who sometimes go off the deep end. And that deep end is really there for someone who thinks if we don't do this, we're going to lose our world. We're going to lose the future. Right. So that's the, so both sides have a, a negative uh, response, you know, that could, you know, are, are dangerous. So I, I don't know the right answer to that question. So if Taylor yeah. gives the answer. Yeah, we are certainly passing through a, a funnel or some sort of passage right now where I would almost maybe liken it to when a baby is on its way out of its mother's uterus through the birth canal. Um, it has a moment where it thinks it's all over at that point because everything is just crushing down on it. Um, but, uh, you know, what's on the other side of that is of course a great mystery to plunge oneself into. So we're definitely passing through a point right now where we are being called to reflect quite intensely and heavily. And um, yeah, the past couple of years have been uh, quite a magnifier for not things just like having burst out of nowhere in the world, but they've been stewing for quite some time. You know, systems have been teetering and buckling for some time. And um, it is on that edge of chaos, right, where those systems are breaking down that this creative union and novelty bursts forth. So um, yeah, that would be a great question for Tara to answer and explore as we, you know, are on this teetering edge and buckling supports and see systems collapsing and, uh, you know, in a way Babylon falling and it's really quite chaotic, but, um, on that edge of chaos perhaps is where that great novelty that he found so much hope in, even uh -huh. in, you know, in the chaos of war, uh, you know, maybe we can find some hope in that. In that chaos as well. I, I think so. I think the answer is yes, we will make it, but there will be a lot of suffering along the way. Yeah. But, but with what we've learned from Teilhard, we can, if we can look at it from a Teilhard perspective, we can handle that suffering a lot better as we keep moving forward. Well said. Very well said. <laughs> but Tracy. I have a second question for him too. Oh yeah, let's hear. It. Yeah. So the second question um, was knowing what we know now and that he has a lot to say and he wrote a lot, does he ever think back and think that maybe he should have become a parish priest, mm. which would allow him to distribute his writings in a, in a manner that makes sense that people could, because you know how those writings were put out after his death. I mean, they, we did the best we could, right? But if he was able to communicate freely while he was alive, with the other brilliant men of his time and to write what he wanted to write and distribute properly, maybe that would have helped our society move itself along. Would that have been a sacrifice that he should have made for the world? Or maybe that was the right decision because we might not be having this conversation because one of the reasons why we love Teilhard so much is because of his faithfulness to who he was. And he says, a Jesuit is who I am. I can't deny who I am. And we know that becoming yourself is always the ultimate goal, right? So from that perspective, I think that's partly why he's as famous as he is and becoming more famous is because we all perceive that great sacrifice he made 
to deliver his message, even if he couldn't deliver it himself in the right way at the right time. So I think the answer would is probably, yeah, he did the right thing. But that, sometimes I ask myself that question. I don't know if he would have any feeling on it now. Honestly, one I've never entertained, but a really, you know, uh, powerful thought to play with there that has ideas could have been disseminated more widely. Um, but yeah, I tend to agree with you that I don't think terror would be tarred if he chose another road other than the road of fire, as he calls it, right? Willingfully enter, entering into challenge, into suffering, into death, and discovering something there as a true scientist, you know, really examining and looking and probing for the truth in there. Yeah, he, he really lived the way of the cross. Yes. Uh, and then I read, as I look more at those last years, it just really was a way of the cross. So he gave his life, essentially. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and he did wager his vision on, you know, his his, his death day in a way where he has to pass on Easter if, <laughs> if God might confirm that this vision was accurate. Right? So I don't know if that's any, you know, indication of where he may have, or how he may have answered your question, but right. um, there seems to be a great, uh, you know, um, pattern in his life and the way those things unfolded. And even um, someone told me the other day that I don't have my phone in front of me right now, but they had texted it to me that in some research they were doing from um, the first uh, like flagging of Taird's work as being problematic or whatever, it was, um, 33 years until he died or maybe something like that. I don't know if that would be correct. Uh, I wish I had my phone right here to, to look at it, but an another synchronicity in there, perhaps. Uh -huh. so. That's right. Synchronicities there. There's a, quite a few of them there. So yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Tracy, it's been a pleasure chatting with you this evening. I hope that other people really enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And we're grateful that you could be with us tonight and for your time and for sharing your experiences, your wisdom, and giving us a lot to look forward to and to hope for. And thank you, Andrew, for taking the time and effort to actually do these podcasts because I really enjoy them. Really amazing. With everything you got going on, you keep doing these podcasts, which is great. <laughs> well, it's my small way of contributing to Tara's vision and to hopefully, again, you know, raising the consciousness of others to cue them in on um, this powerful way of seeing, right, as Tayard says. And we don't all need to read Tayard or even know who he is to see, but to be called to something more in our own lives, to be more, to serve more, to love more, um, you know, that's what it's really all about, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the ATA and forwarding Tayard's work. We're grateful for everything that you do for us and for that. So it's been a pleasure tonight, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew.